even though you want to make your stories personal and intimate and authentic about your experience, it's a mistake to insert your ego in your stories. Your stories are not about you. You're in the service of your subject, whether it's an animal, a plant, or a community. Finding that balance is critical to success in storytelling. Bringing you conversations with the world's leading visual storytellers on making real impact. This is Storytelling for Change, the Photographers Without Borders podcast. I'm your host, Danny Conda Silva, and I want to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, Metis, and Mohawk First Nations in Canada. My guest today is Christina Mittermeier. Christina is one of the most influential conservation photographers in the world and has been hailed as one of the most important outdoor photographers of her generation. Christina first discovered her insatiable passion for the natural world, both above and below the surface, as a marine biologist working in the Gulf of California and the Yucatan Peninsula in her native Mexico. Today, Christina is the co-founder and managing director of Sea Legacy. She's a National Geographic contributing photographer, a Sony artisan of imagery, and was the first female photographer to reach one million followers on Instagram. Christina was also my mentor during my Sony Alpha Female creative residency and has since become a really good friend. At the time of recording, Christina had been working on an exciting mystery project, and we were one of the first to hear about it. It's all about storytelling. Uh, storytelling is so important. And the, the thing that's, that is missing, you know, it's more uh, avenues for storytelling. So in the early days, if you wanted to be a photographer, your only storytelling opportunity was with National Geographic, you know, for the big leagues. And it's such a difficult journey to, to get to those big publications. So Paul and I really wanted to create our own distribution channel. And of course, that began with social media and our Instagram accounts, just telling little stories. But pretty soon you realize that, that if you really want to own the story, you cannot just hand all the control to a secondary like a platform that you don't own, like Instagram or Facebook. So we're building our own platform. And if you know C Legacy a little bit, you probably already know the platform that we have now. It's our website and we have the Tide. What we're building is uh, version 2.0, more robust, really beautiful. And um, uh, we have a landing page. Uh, the, the address is only dot one because we only have one planet. We only have one ocean and we really truly only have one opportunity to do this and that's together. So go to only.one, sign your name and you'll be the first ones to know. Only One launched in June, 2020 and I highly encourage you to check it out if you're into ocean conservation. I asked Christina if we could dive deeper into what she thought about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's impacting her work. The, the thing about COVID-19 um, uh, really struck, struck me because it's not the first time that a virus has jumped from a wild creature to humans. And the only surprise to me is that a pandemic hasn't happened sooner. You know, we, HIV gave it a really good try. Uh, things like Ebola have had kind of like a foothold and it took COVID-19 to really um, shake the world. Um, I was married for 20 some years to a primatologist and he wrote uh, recently a paper. My ex is my really good friend still. He wrote a paper called The Human Meat Market, and it's just a recognition that uh, humans um, 
complex animals like humans, we take a long time to adapt and evolve. But microbes and viruses and bacteria, they're really quick. You know, they're, they're mutating and adapting all the time. And so when you give them the opportunity to jump from a wild animal where they have been self-quarantined in nature, out there in the jungle somewhere, and you bring them into a market and they can jump into a domesticated animal and then into a human, things can get really messy really quickly. And that's what we're experiencing now. As humans, there's 8 billion of us now. We have infringed on every aspect of this planet. And we have forgotten that is that the integrity of the fabric of life that gives resilience to the entire system. The only reason the ocean can produce oxygen is because it's alive. But when you keep dumping uh, sewage and pesticides and fossil fuels into the ocean or taking food out, you know, you are undermining the resilience of that system. If we want to prevent the next pandemic, because mind you, I mean, dying from COVID-19 is horrible, but I know viruses that are really horrible, you know? <laughs> Thank goodness this is, this is not the worst virus that could have hit us. But if we want to prevent the next pandemic, we need to make sure that we are protecting at least half of the nature on this planet, you know, and that means more national parks, more marine protected areas. I think that the first order of business is we have to ban these wildlife markets. It's crazy. Do you remember, Danielle, when there was a guy that went on an airplane and it was one person with one shoe with one bomb. And now forevermore, we all will have to take our shoes off every time we want to board an airplane. Well, whoever brought this bat or this pangolin or whatever it was into that market detonated a nuclear weapon on humanity and we have to treat it the same way. Christina is one of the most effective change makers I know. It sometimes seems that no problem is too big for her to take on. I wanted to know how she finds the energy to tackle these big issues and how she goes about finding the right avenues for making change. I cherish the network of friends and acquaintances that I've made throughout the years, people like you. You know, I wouldn't be here tonight if I hadn't taken the time to get to know you and your passions. And I think that paying attention to the people around us is really important. But I also feed from the energy that other people exude, you know, and when I, especially when I work with passionate people like you, it just fills me with energy. I just can't wait to get up in the morning and get out of here. <laughs> and I also am a mom, you know, I, I have three kids and you think about the planet that we live in today. Yesterday, Paul and I were sitting here having dinner when we heard this, I looked at the window, you know, because I've been hearing it all day. It was a gray whale <laughs> just eating, feeding right here in front of my window. We live in a beautiful planet. And I would love for my children to know that there's going to be whales when they are older and that we're going to not have to worry about a, an apocalyptic future. So that's where I take my energy from, honey. There's no choice. As photographers, it's important to know when to put the camera down. Christina discussed her thoughts on when to make the photo and when to simply experience the moment. You know, I think uh, more often than not, especially these days, as, as I'm getting older, I put my camera down just to really look. I feel like I've missed so much because we put that camera to our eye and you create this barrier between yourself and what's happening. But do you feel that way? Like you isolate yourself somehow and especially creates an emotional isolation. And that can be really useful if you, if you really need to concentrate on action that's happening. But I also feel like we miss a lot. And so these days, I just put my camera down. And 
and feel and observe, especially because when you're photographing wildlife and nature, I just don't know for how much longer it will be that way. And I, I want to take it all in. I want to experience it. As we strive to decolonize conservation and re-examine our relationships with the natural world, I wondered how Christina felt about the current disconnected and commodified relationship many of us have with nature. I, I think that's just a symptom of a much bigger disease, you know, and that is, uh, I, I think it must have happened just in the last hundred years where we have created this disconnection. You know, we, we don't remember that we don't live in isolation, that without nature, there's no economy, there's no industry, there's no, there's no nothing. And we have forgotten. I mean, people turn on the tap and they don't see the stream or the river where that water came from. Uh -huh. It came from a faucet. And that's a huge disconnection. So I feel like it has to be taught in schools. Uh -huh. Like I deeply remember the lessons, the civic duty lessons to nature that I learned as a child. And I don't know that they teach that in schools anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, you know, because I think so many of us, people of, you know, between your age and my age, have been raised in, in, with the fear of nature, the fear of getting dirty in nature, you know, the discomforts of nature. It's out there, it's gross, it's dirty, there's mosquitoes. How can you teach a child to love nature if you yourself feel so disconnected? So it's a real challenge. Um, I tried to do it through stories and I use my Instagram account up, like so many of us do, I know you do it as well. I, I think about it as an instruction manual for how to live on earth. And every day I try to share just a little bit of knowledge or um, you know, how to be a good citizen on this planet. Um, a bridge of empathy towards other creatures, but towards each other as well. I knew that Christina had started out as a marine biologist before becoming a photographer. I wondered how she decided to merge those two interests and how she got into storytelling in the first place. It's a funny story. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I honestly thought that, that doing the, the science work was going to be the thing that would allow me to speak with authority about a subject and people would listen. And I get this question all the time, you know, should I go back to school and study marine biology? Should I just go into storytelling? I think getting into science really helped me uh, get a lens through which to see the world. But, you know, you can spend years writing a scientific paper and collaborating with scientists and it's a lot of back and forth. And then finally the paper comes out in the nature in the journal of nature, the journal of science, and you're the only one who's excited. Nobody else reads that stuff. When I published my first photograph, it was part of, a, of one of these, I make these big books. This one is called Oceans, but um, I have made 28 of these big books. And when I made my first one, I was writing the science. And when we launched the book, there was an event. And I noticed that people were browsing through the pages, but they were not reading the text. They were looking at the pictures. And I realized that people that were looking at the pictures were also asking questions. And I thought, hmm, you know, maybe science is too much of a highbrow language for people to feel comfortable participating but oh my god photographs you know we're all photographers especially now we all carry a device that makes us experts and people want to know what it felt like you know where was this how did you get there what were you eating you know the human questions 
Uh-huh. And I thought, mm, you know, this is how we lower the price of entry. This is how we make it more democratic and accessible to everyone. And I went back to school to learn photography, Daniela. <laughs> it was not my choice. And I think if we save the earth tomorrow, I probably would put my camera down and have no interest in. The, the thing about being Mexican is that we come from a lineage of storytellers. I think we, we have this incredible heritage of indigenous people in our country and artists. And so it is, it is part of who we are as a people. And so don't wait for support, you know, just start telling your stories. Um, you know, you can never buy an audience, you earn an audience. And so if I tell you how I got started when I moved to the United States, my first ever public lecture was at my little public library. There were eight people there. You know, that's a good audience. <laughs> I, I had them captivated. So don't worry about, um, you know, getting a big audience, just start doing it. And I started my storytelling journey by volunteering my work. I could see that the thing I was passionate about, which is protecting nature, uh, a lot of conservation groups had a lot of science and policy, and they didn't have the budget for communicators. So I volunteered, and I started taking pictures and telling stories. Um, if I can give you any advice, is try to become a good writer. You know, put Grammarly, which is free on your computer. Grammarly is such an incredible tool to write better. And you'll see that those organizations that you care about, that you work with, that you volunteer for, pretty soon are going to not be able to not have you uh, around. So, I mean, that's how I got my first line on a budget, you know, money, Mm. communications and storytelling. For amateur photographers, it can be discouraging to feel that you're not reaching a large enough audience. Christina shared her advice to photographers who are just starting out. When I give a lecture and I have a thousand people in an auditorium, if one person comes to me at the end to say, you changed my life, I feel lucky and happy. (laughs) If the other 999 were just entertained, that's good. That's okay. If you can change five people in your audience, you know, at a time, that's great because they are going to go and change another five. So it doesn't matter what the size of your audience is. It matters what the depth of your message is. We subscribe to capitalism as the economic model, and we think that money is the only metric that measures happiness. If we don't change that, we're going to go back to a system that has left both nature and humanity behind, and the next pandemic is going to be worse. So what can we do? I think as storytellers, we can speak really loudly, and we can try to articulate a different type of world. And we can start making change. It can feel so overwhelming with the number of issues happening all over the world and in our own backyards. I was curious about how Christina finds her focus. You know, it's a, it's a, that's an amazing question because it's one that I struggle with myself. For the issues that I uh, am tackling, I feel that there's a lot of intersection between women's women empowerment, I'm, I'm going to call it, indigenous rights, loss of biodiversity, climate change. I mean, I try to find the intersections between those when I try to focus my stories on those intersections. And it's interesting because there's a lot more room for storytelling where these two, where these things come together, you know, in the cross points than there is in the issue itself. Christina and I are both biologists as well as photographers. And so I was curious about how she sees storytelling and science merging. 
She spoke about being a scientist, collaborating with scientists, and how to communicate scientific work in a compelling way. So that's such a great question because uh, one thing I've learned is that uh, some of the best scientists are some of the worst communicators. And when you're a scientist, you are indoctrinated into this idea that you have to be completely factual, completely dry, completely objective, and that doesn't make for good storytelling. So our job is to take the, the science along with the scientist as a character and turn that into the story. If we can translate and it's not just translating the science, but the purpose of the science, the scientific finding it, it, that has an, you know, an effect on my life into a story, uh, being that interpreter, being that translator is the most important job of the storyteller. So finding scientists that trust you with that is incredible. And, and there's a few examples, right? Some of my favorite scientific storytellers are People like Rachel Carson, you know, she was a scientist and she was the mother of the environmental movement, if you ask me. But she was also poetic and a beautiful writer. More modern, uh, Sylvia Earle has the gift. Carl Safina, oh my God, can he write and tell stories? I received the, the most touching um, compliment the other day. He wrote a scientific article and then he asked me for photographs to illustrate it. And I did. And he wrote me and he said, you and I are soulmates. That's what you want to hear. Christina is a very well-known and successful photographer with a massive social media following of millions. So I wondered how she maintains a healthy relationship with social media. You know, every morning you get up and you, and you say, you know, I am nobody. Nobody knows who I am. And, you know, the minute you start believing you're a celebrity because a million people follow you, you're lost. So I, I think um, being a good craftsperson, you know, a, a person that's good at their craft is about pride and not about ego. And so putting your best story out there. And I, what I like is getting the comments. You know, I, I love hearing how people react to the, whatever question or story I put out there. Um, so it's not about how many people like it, but how people react to it. And, um, you know, just because you're a photographer or a storyteller, don't ever believe that anybody cares about who you are. You know, your job is to tell somebody else's story. Speaking of telling stories about other people, I wanted to know Christina's thoughts on the importance of who's telling the stories that we hear. Oh my gosh, what, what an important question, huh, Penia? Oh yeah. I think... <laughs> I forget which president said that uh, whoever owns the story gets to tell how the story ends. So people who have been colonized for hundreds of years have surrendered their story because they didn't have a choice. But today we actually have the, the, the free medium to publish our stories for the world to see. And diversity... You, know, you cannot force diversity, but you can open the doors for diversity. And if people that are minorities of any kind start telling stories, we immediately start shifting how the story ends. So, you know, it's, everybody needs to be telling stories, but especially people who have not been invited to the storytelling table before. So the story is theirs to tell. In her determination to make her conservation work more intersectional, Christina often works alongside Indigenous communities. I wanted to know what she has learned in the process. I, I think it's a, it's a lesson that I not only carry into my conservation work, I carry into my own personal life. Uh, and that is, I'm, I'm going to say something that I said earlier, 
and that is that we have all been indoctrinated into believing that money is a metric of success and happiness. For indigenous people, especially those communities where there's, there's no money, you know, there's never been, uh, the metric becomes really different. And it has to do more with um, the depth of your interactions with others. It's not about how much you have, but about how much you give back and how much you contribute. And to really fill your soul, you're going to fill it with things that matter so much more than stuff or money. Let me tell you a story. I was sitting with uh, Megaron Shukaramai, who's the chief of the Kayapo Nation. And the Kayapo are a, a dreaming culture. You know, they, they're like the Aborigines in Australia, where if somebody has a dream, that dream kind of becomes the, the faith of the people. So the dream is brought to the council of chiefs or whatever body it is. Megaron said to me, you know, the problem with you white people is that you only dream for yourselves. You know, you dream about the bigger car, you dream about the new house, you dream about your job and your money and your bank. He said, how do you know as a people where you're going if you don't have a dream that you share together as a community? And I thought, wow, I mean, in this pursuit of the me, we have lost our future together as a community. And so if you're going to fill your soul, you're going to fill it with a sense of purpose, waking up in the morning and knowing that your work is not only putting you know, food on the table, but also making a difference. And if that's not the way that you can contribute, then you can volunteer, be kind to others, help other people, take pride in your culture, in who you are, your language, uh, share it with your children and with others. And you know, you're going to see that that builds a sense of being enough, of having enough and being able to give back. Finally, Christina shared with us the most important teaching she has ever received. Even though you want to make your stories personal and intimate and authentic about your experience, it's a mistake to insert your ego in your stories. Your stories are not about you. You're in the service of your subject, whether it's an animal, a plant, or a community. Finding that balance is critical to success in storytelling. You can follow Christina on Instagram at MITTY, that's M-I-T-T-Y, or C Legacy. I'm Danny Conda Silva, and this has been Storytelling for Change, presented by Photographers Without Borders. Don't forget to follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms so you can be notified of new episodes first. All Photographers Without Borders members also have access to our full visual library of unedited Storytelling for Change episodes. To become a member, head to photographerswithoutborders.org and find us on Instagram or Facebook at Photographers Without Borders. We are incredibly grateful to the Indigenous communities who have been protectors of the land and water since time immemorial. And this is your daily reminder to know whose land you stand on.